This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Sam Basu and Jeff Fritz. Morning, guys. It's Friday the 13th. How are you doing? Morning. I'm terrified. What's going to go wrong today? Look out. <laughs> uh, now, I've got uh, Sam here from Telerik. Sam, why don't you uh, give yourself a brief introduction for folks, let everybody know what you do. Sure thing. So, uh, just like Ed, I'm a developer advocate uh, with Telerik. Um, advocates or evangelists, we really don't do anything. We just talk about stuff and try to shy away from the really hard stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we uh, we try to stay on top of the technology and um, especially on the Microsoft stack. So I think it's uh, it's great to have Jeff on with us today. I think we got some big changes coming and it's exciting. Uh, so that's me. And uh, Jeff Fritz, uh, you're working with uh, Microsoft now. Why don't you give everybody a quick intro as well? Yeah. Hey there. I'm Jeff Fritz. Uh, I do work for Microsoft. I'm part of the ASP.NET Developer Outreach Team. Um, it's our job to put together some of the content, uh, manage some of the social interactions, the blog posts, the videos that you're going to see, and uh, use to learn more about ASP.NET Core, uh, .NET Core, and uh, I also manage the ASP.NET Web Forums team. So I do a little bit of everything there for Microsoft. It sounds like you're a really busy guy over at Microsoft these days, especially with all of the new uh, things happening with ASP.NET and .NET Core. Uh, so we wanted to have you on the show today to talk about those huge changes and the big release coming up. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and start things off with some uh, just kind of an overview, I guess, of what, what's happening in uh, .NET land. So um, we're moving forward. We're moving into a, an interesting period here as we get uh, closer to summer 2016, where we're going to start to really deliver on this vision, this strategy of .NET for any device from 64K to 64 gig. Um, it's, an, it's an interesting approach where we're going to be able to have uh, .NET Core running on any device, whether it's IoT, your laptop, your phone, using, and it'll be Xamarin in that case on your phone, or UWP if you have a Windows phone. And then when we get out to the cloud, you can use ASP.NET Core on Docker, deploy that to any of those cloud solutions where you can manage lots and lots of containers or VMs, however you want or need to. So it, it's really it's really exciting for us to be at this point where we're delivering on this tremendous um, a tremendous set of capabilities where you're going to be able to take C sharp and run it on any device. Um, now, part of that is the ASP.NET RC2 release that we're seeing this week that uh, delivers a significant set of changes from the RC1 that really focus around replatforming around the .NET command line interface. That .NET core command line interface really starts to get us in line with the rest of the .NET ecosystem. So we have portability across all of our .NETs so that you can use in the future when, when everybody gets up, gets in line with these, we'll be able to use the same .NET command line interface to compile all of your .NET projects. But for now, we're going to have support for ASP.NET core coming out of the box. And this is a big right. shift for folks too, because you know mostly uh, ASP.NET or uh, .NET in general has been associated with um, Visual Studio for a long time, and you know developers kind of feel like you have to have Visual Studio to to use anything .NET, and the new uh, cross-platform approach with using the command line interface and stuff really opens things up to developers outside of that ecosystem. You're right, Ed. The the approach, one of the one of the tenets that the team had right from the get go was, you know what, we want to make sure that everybody can get access to this, they can be productive with .NET, and uh, we don't want to make Visual Studio a requirement to get in and get running. So you saw us invest in Visual Studio Code, a text editor that allows you to edit code, get some IntelliSense built into that, some refactoring. 
We've also added a debugger in the Visual Studio Code. And we've also made investments in a project called OmniSharp that allows you to get IntelliSense in other editors that people prefer, like Sublime, Vim, Brackets. You know, So we're trying to bring .NET to where developers are. And by using the command line interface, we're also allowing you to execute all of those commands that you would have executed in Visual Studio natively right there on the command line, whether you're on Linux, Mac, or Windows. But of course, if you want that highly productive interaction with your code to manage and drive with advanced tools, you're going to get that best experience with Visual Studio on Windows. Yeah, so I think that sets some folks at ease. Like Visual Studio is not going away. <laughs> the the deep, you know, hand holding or, or warm uh, seat warmer analogy that I've used before, like it's uh, Visual Studio's that Cadillac of IDEs where you have the built-in seat warmers and uh, the nice stitched leather dashboard. That's that's not going away at all. No, no, it certainly is not. And that's that's part of the the challenge that we've had. Um, in preparing ASP.NET Core and .NET Core is pulling together all of those tools in Visual Studio that really are, are the top of the, of the pyramid for the development stack. Um, it, it takes a long time to build that last piece, but meanwhile, all the runtimes and the libraries that you need to run ASP.NET Core on those various operating systems in these different modes you you can get to you can use so we're splitting that that delivery up a little bit right we're going to deliver the runtimes in a release candidate 2 now along with all the framework things these are the things that you're going to deploy to your bin folder when you compile your project all of those things are rc2 now but the top of that of that stack where you have the visual studio tools you have the final capabilities of the command line interface. These things are going to take a little bit longer. We're, we've rebranded those as Preview 1. And in doing so, it, we've bought ourselves a little bit of time here to make sure that we get it right, get the integration between not just ASP.NET and .NET Core, but other projects that you're going to have in your .NET ecosystem. Make sure all of that works as one cohesive unit so that you can bring other things that you've already invested in into the ASP.NET Core project system. Um, so when we do get there, when we do finish that, that tooling story, not only are you going to be able to do the integration between class libraries that you've already built with custom business logic, you're going to be able to share them across all of your different environments, IoT, phone, desktop, UWP, ASP.NET, but you're going to get that tremendous experience that you get in Visual Studio with Roslyn analyzers, the high-end debugger, and IntelliSense, and IntelliTrace. All of these things are going to work when we finish the tooling release for Visual Studio. So Jeff, this is great, and um, maybe I want to talk a little bit more about .NET in particular before we get into uh, the ASP.NET stuff. So um, I know Scott Hunter and everybody else likes talking about this, where it really is the promise of .NET everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. C Sharp and .NET lets you target really any platform on, um, on any uh, device that you want to uh, target. So it really is a good story for .NET developers, but let's dig in a little bit into what's happening with .NET. So, now we have different BCLs that kind of power .NET on different platforms. We obviously have the .NET Framework, then we have .NET Core, then we have uh, Mono, then we have Unity. So all of these ports of .NET to other platforms are also there. So what exactly is .NET Core? Can you break that down for us? So if we if we really look at .NET Core, um, what we're what we're trying to do what is is really it's it's almost a throwback to where we were 15 years ago when this whole thing started, right? When .NET first came out, there was one base class library, and it ran on Windows, and you ran the same library for Windows Forms, for web services, web applications. That was it. You really had only three or four types of projects. Class libraries, I think, were the other things you had in there. So, so where .NET Core comes in is that we're going to start to pull together this very simple but common uh, framework that we're going to be able to use that's that's portable across different environments. Um, 
we intend to make this available to use in other environments, but for right now, we're only developing and working with it on the server. And you're right, Sam. Um, we have four or five different versions of BCLs and frameworks and runtimes out there that all call themselves .NET, but you, it, it's a it's a pain in the neck to get portability across them. Um, it, We've attempted to solve that problem in the past with portable class libraries, right? So you write these libraries that when you start a new when you start a new project, you get this set of checkboxes. Where do you want to deploy this to? Uh, I want to put it on on a web server. I want to put it on a phone. I want to put it in a Windows Store app. <clears throat> and, and the more checkboxes you check, the lesser and lesser your API canvas becomes. And I think what .NET standard yep. does is kind of solve that problem. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But I mean, would it be fair if I say .NET Core today, uh, the cross-platform story is essentially CoreFX, Core CLR, and CLI that runs everywhere. Does that sound fair? Yeah, sure. Okay. And it's, it's really much more of a modular, leaner .NET. Uh, you don't have all of the things that .NET Framework 4.6 has today, but just the pieces that you need to build your applications. And for now, it's console and ASP.NET, but other things, as other things get on board, you'll see that see that kind of expanding a little bit more. Right. It, the the strategy and the direction for .NET Core is, is still a little bit up in the air, but certainly the cross-platform story is there. Um, the server-side story, the the tooling around the command line interface, and, and this modular opt-in uh, approach where you only choose the features that you need to bring along with your .NET Core application. Um, it also speaks towards uh, this ability for, for the framework um, to be able to grow, to expand. So when there are features that we say, you know what, we have this in, in .NET Framework, in the full desktop .NET Framework on Windows, we can bring those in as additional features to .NET Core later on in the process. Right. So because of this opt-in nature. Sure. So you, you mentioned CLI. So let's kind of jump into that from a .NET standpoint, and then we'll go into uh, ASP.NET. So I know we started kind of with the K days. Remember KRE and uh, oh, those yeah. days? Uh, and then we switched to DNX and uh, DNU, and now we are kind of back to .NET, which I think is kind of the core of what uh, you guys wanted to do in the first place. So I'm, I'm glad to see this change. So .NET is now a CLI, just the tools, uh, just the basic tools are in a CLI, and I mean, thanks to JavaScript and the hipster folks, uh, CLI and command line is cool again. It's back to the 80s, and like we are doing ASCII art and things like that, but it's actually a lot of power, right, in your, in your command line. So um, the new .NET comes with a list of CLI tools uh, that are cross-platform and works everywhere. So things like .NET, and then you have all of these verbs, like do a new, do a restore, do a build, test, run, publish, and so on. And these work uh, right now on any platform, really, correct? Yes, they they work on they work on uh, Mac OS X, they work on uh, Linux. We have it working very well on an Ubuntu install. Uh, it also works on a Red Hat install. Um, and of course, we have it working on Windows. And I was actually doing this yesterday, and it's really nice on a fresh machine where you can just get uh, .NET uh, from the installers. You can do scripts, or you can just get it, um, just basic .NET. For ASP.NET, you can do the get ASP.NET, but for just pure .NET, you can just get uh, the .NET CLI and the runtime. And then when you do a .NET new, it actually puts a little project uh, wherever your, uh, your folder is, and it just essentially adds three things. There is a NuGet config, so you have your dependencies. There's a plain uh, program.cs, which just has a hello world if you're doing a C-sharp app. And then there's a project.json, which has, again, all of your, the listing of all of your dependencies. And the NuGet config is really where you get your dependencies from. And then when you uh, do a .NET restore, it really goes through the JSON file, looks at all of your dependencies and the source of your NuGet config, and pulls everything down. Yeah, that's right. Now, uh, when I when I do that, actually, uh, one of the dependencies that it lists out is the .NET standard library, and right now I think it's uh, 1.0.0 and then RC2, and then NuGet goes out and gets about um, close to 100 or so packages that I think make up the whole .NET core or the standard library that's been referenced. So, do you know what's what else is being pulled down? What what all makes up a project that it's ready for .NET? To kind of bootstrap and run your application. So when you when you talk about that that .NET standard library, 
right? And right now we're talking about the 1.0 version. That's, that's the version that has the least number of features because it's most compatible with all of the .NET platforms, whether that's .NET Core, the .NET Desktop Framework, UWP, uh, Windows Phone, Mono, right? This has, this has the least number of features, and it's really grabbing and pulling in the, the baseline things that would have been your base class library on top of Windows, but we're going to make it available appropriately with those shims so that it will work on Mac and Linux as well. So once you download those, the NuGet process actually caches them locally, very much like your BCL is when you install a new version of Windows or Visual Studio, you get a new version of the .NET framework and it stashes all of those BCL libraries, your DLLs, somewhere on disk and you don't even think about them. Yeah, it's it's so, a NuGet uh, folder, and it's actually really nice. Like the next times you run like uh, .NET Restore, it just takes no time at all because it already has the bits. Exactly, and and instead of instead of in the old way with NuGet using packages config uh, in your other project types, with this model, all we do is put down a pointer to where that DLL of that package is sitting on disk. So no nothing needs to be moved around. You don't end up like like I did with 50 copies of microsoft.asp.net.nupkeg sitting on disk. That's ridiculous. We're going to have one copy for each version that you need or you might reference in a central location. So yeah. when we, we talk about the .NET standard library, let's clarify things for folks. It, is the .NET standard library, it's not an actual DLL itself, right? It is a like a meta package or an, an index to all of the things that satisfy what is considered the .NET standard library. You're you're right. It is it is a meta package. Um, we were using the term lineup internally for a while, where it's it's a list of here's the other compatible packages that all work together for this version. So it it really is just a pointer to here's all the versions that that meet this this standard this the same standard. So you're going to grab that, put it down locally, and then when you need other versions because you want to use more features or you have a more focused application uh, that's only using .NET Core and it's not using Windows Phone, then you can move to a more focused version of the platform standard like version 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, and you'll get additional packages that come in as part of that and you'll be able to do more things. So, Jeff, could we look at the .NET standard as sort of like an API contract, so like it can move independent of .NET itself and .NET Core itself? Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. It is an it's an API contract that that really says, you know what, if you want to implement, if you want to be part of of a version of .NET, so another software vendor says we're going to make our own version of .NET that works on, I don't know, jewelry, right? Then, um, then that version needs to implement this minimum set of APIs in order to meet .NET Standard 1. And if you want to advance and, and be part of .NET Standard 1.1, these additional APIs must be met, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it really does give you that confidence that when you are programming against a certain version of .NET, a certain standard version of .NET, that you have the same features across all of those frameworks that implement it. So no longer do you have to say, oh, I'm working on a Windows phone, so I don't have access to these things in system.drawing. Um, but I am working in uh, on the web server, so I don't have access to these things in Silverlight. Right? These are things that you used to have to balance, but now they fall by the wayside, and you're able to focus on one set of APIs. So I, I like the promise of this one. So essentially what this means is once this is widely adopted, and I mean, if I am writing a Xamarin app and I do not have device-specific dependencies, I can bring over my library as is, as long as it's following a certain standard, to my ASP.NET app and just use it. That's right. Um, you don't have to worry about writing any of those goofy portable class library references. You, you can just implement the, the .NET standard appropriately inside of your your 
business class library inside of your component, and it should be able to be referenced by those other applications. So let's jump over to ASP.NET Core a little bit. Uh, when this new release comes out, mm -hmm. uh, there's some changes to the structure of an application. So we have project.json. What, what's happening with that? So initially what you're going to see is that project.json has some additional fields and features to include and give you these references um, to the frameworks, to the .NET standard version that you're going to be using. And these appear in those same areas that we were using for dependencies and frameworks. They changed just a little bit to support this direction that we're heading in. And this is the RC2 version of the ASP.NET runtime and libraries. Um, there's an RTM that's scheduled to happen in June, um, and at that time, nothing's going to change between project.json between now and then. That project file that you use, you can use a text editor to manage your project's references. It's going to stay exactly the same. However, the xproj file that you use with Visual Studio to manage your interactions and your capabilities for your project is going to be renamed to csproj because it's a C-sharp project. And at that point, MS Build is going to start to come into play a little bit more here. Um, in order for us to achieve that that cross-project cross model reference that, that we want to be able to deliver with, with Xamarin, with uh, the desktop frameworks, right, with all these other libraries that you may already have written out there that you want to use with ASP.NET. And some people have huge investments in this, hundreds of projects inside of a solution, and they want to start migrating things to ASP.NET Core. Um, we need to bring MS Build back into the picture. Running things with with the project JSON uh, model, just it, it just made that hurdle incredibly high to cross. The MS build has been around for 15 years. Um, like it or leave it, it, it's been doing a really good job for the .NET ecosystem, but that's where we need to bolt on all of these cool features that we did put into Project JSON and optimize MS build a little bit so that it does work and is capable on these other platforms. And the good news is, since the acquisition of Xamarin, we actually do have a compatible MS build that does work on Mac and Linux. So we're going to take advantage of that. We're going to enhance the MS build project file. Um, MS build actually knows how to do all of the things that we've built into Project JSON, um, except for NuGet. It really, we, we can teach it how to do NuGet by adding in um, tasks to it, but it's it's not something that we're sure we want to bring into the build process. Uh, we look at the, the package restore and maintenance problem as something that happens outside of the build. It's something that you need to have those references in place before we actually start building and compiling your application. But as we move forward past ASP.NET Core 1.0 RTM, we're going to start to see that um, that csproj file take on more and more responsibilities for managing the project. Now, the the difficult thing that people see with this is, well, csproj is XML, and I, I have to use Visual Studio to manage it. And it is XML, and it's going to be XML for the foreseeable future. And Visual Studio is used to manage it. And a lot of the things that you do see in that MS build CS project file is it is it's goo it's Visual Studio goo for managing the user interface and with the project JSON approach we've actually changed how that works a little bit by introducing the .vs folder so you're going to see some things change with how how content gets into the CS project file you're going to see us introduce um, capabilities so that you can manage that project file from the command line. I mean, let's face it, when you do start like an NPM, uh, right, a node package, a lot of people will copy and paste some boilerplate content into a JSON file, package.json, and then they'll go in and maybe they'll tune some things by hand. But at the end of the day, they've got to run NPM install. 
And there's great tooling with NPM to be able to save content into your package JSON file. So that's an idea that we're floating is maybe maybe we enhance our command line tooling here so that you can manage your MS build file a lot easier and you don't need to go into it because the workflow we do see people use who aren't in Visual Studio is that they do use the command line to update and maintain some of the content that's in their project files and after they post you know some initial uh, boilerplate content into their project file because once that project file is set for a lot of people it's hands-off and they just they're often developing it's really the code they focus on and that's what we're trying to do is we want to make those project files we want to make the ability to bring in your package references something that you don't have to focus on or think about those are things that are just gonna happen and they're gonna happen very well for you during that boilerplate startup time once you're done that you shouldn't have to go and interact with those things because you're going to be able to focus on your code. And at the end of the day, you're writing code, you're not managing project files. And that's that's really what we're trying to get people to. So, Jeff, I mean, let me get this uh, very clear and straight. So um, you're saying project JSON is not entirely going away. It still stays and it lists your dependencies, correct? It's, it's going to stay and list your dependencies at least through the 1.0 version of ASP.NET Core, as right. we as we go through that, as the the betas start rolling out for the version after that, things will change. Okay, so the CS project, which really is for MS builds to utilize inside of Visual Studio, that should be for Visual Studio developers. I mean, you're not going to put that on like other cross-platform projects, correct? No, we're we're going to have to do that, and on on all ASP.NET Core projects, you'll have a CS project that MS build in those other environments will be able to consume. Okay, but I mean, from a collaboration standpoint, let's just say Ed is on his um, Windows machine and Visual Studio. He starts up an ASP.NET Core project, and he gets Project JSON and CS mm -hmm. the whole whole uh, shindig, and then he pushes it to GitHub. I'm on a Mac and I'm on Visual Code, and I get the bits down. And for me, uh, if I do not use MS build. Uh, I can just simply look at all the dependencies in project.json and NuGet will still resolve those dependencies and the .NET uh, CLI will still build my project as is, correct? Pro uh, it, through the 1.0 release, that's the way it will be working, yes. After the 1.0, things will change and on your Mac you will be using a flavor of MS build that will be enhanced and, and compatible across the... Uh, I'm sorry, that'll be cross-platform compatible. Um, and yeah. it should be a very good experience. We're we're standing firm on some of these things that we want to make sure are good experiences. And in order to make this work in, in a good way for developers across platforms, um, yes, we're bringing MS Build, but we're also going to bring the features of Project JSON that people really like so that we have an enhanced version of MS Build that really delivers on some of the promises that we set forth in Project JSON. Got it. So, so what we're looking about... forward to is, uh, in Sam scenarios, if I start up, you know, file new project in Visual Studio on a PC uh, running Windows, then if he's using um, uh, a Mac and an editor on there, he would he would then use the CLI to access those features and it would use that that new version of MS Build that's cross-plat. That's that's the concept that we're currently working with. Um, or if you do like editing XML, um, <laughs> if you'd like editing XML by hand, you can certainly go in there and write it. Um, which you know what, a lot of web developers like editing HTML by hand. So it's not that far a stretch if you do have to go in there and edit. But I can understand some people with the um, concern about going in and editing MS build files. I'm fine doing it by hand. What's the big deal? <laughs> hey, so uh, Jeff, um, on the CLI front, so clearly we are moving away from DNX and DNVM, and ASP.NET is going to use the uh, new .NET CLI going forward, correct? Yep, that's right. Of course, we have the convenience of something like a Yeoman generator, which can kind of bootstrap and give us a nice starting point with ASP.NET applications, and then the .NET CLI comes in. Is that the goal? 
So that's one approach. You can certainly use Yeoman to, to grab some boilerplate templates and, and start up an application. Um, we also have the ability with the .NET CLI to say .NET new, and you'll get a, a simple console application. Um, there's other templates that we've talked about jumping uh, jumping into that .NET CLI so that you can very easily say .NET new, ASP.NET, and you'll get a selection of items there. Um, it's it's open ended at this point. We we're we're seeing the success of the the open source approach here, where we get feedback about whether folks like using .NET new or if they want to use the Yeoman templates, and we'll we'll curve things appropriately as we build out the the framework and tools. Um, we heard from so some folks that they didn't like taking a dependency on Yeoman to use those templates, so we introduced .NET new. And we'll see how that lands. If folks like it, we'll build that out further. But you always have the opportunity to use Yeoman. Um, and but once that, just like currently with the RC1, when you run YoASP.NET, you can then come through, do your package restore, and then build process. You can do the same thing with .NET. You'll be able to use new Yeoman templates when those are available, and say .NET restore, and then .NET build, and you'll have a web application. So, so maybe, maybe this, I is, oh, this is about choice. It's which one do you, which tools are you comfortable with? We're going to make the tools available to you as best as possible. Sure. So maybe I didn't catch this new thing. So .NET new will now actually let you kind of bootstrap an ASP.NET application. Like you could say .NET new something like ASP.NET. So right now .NET new outputs a console application. Right. Um, there is there is some concept floating about hey I'd like to be able to get a template ASP.NET application when I say .NET new, and that's something that we're testing and trying to figure out is this something we want to put in the box or not. Yeah, I would love that actually. Just being able to have a consistent way to just new up your .NET applications, you simply say console or ASP.NET and it just does the thing. Now, would there be a way for uh, developers to create their own recipes, so to speak, for that? Um, you know what? I haven't seen the way that the templates are laid out for .NET new, um, but being able to add in and enhance templates is it, it's a tenant that we've had with Visual Studio. Um, there are ways to add features to the .NET command line um, as the .NET command line evolves. Here, uh, I'm I'm not sure if that that's actually going to make it in that you're going to be able to customize those templates. But um, it, that is a story that we have heard. So, Jeff, this might be, um, again, one of those nitpicky questions. But I mean, I use DNVM for quite a while now. And I used to enjoy the fact that I could do a DNVM list that shows me all the runtimes that I've installed on my machine. And then as I'm building an ASP.NET app, I could say, no, go ahead and pick that particular runtime and package it with my app. Do we still have that with the new .NET CLI? So with the new .NET CLI, um, it actually will look at your project JSON and see which version of .NET that you're built with, which which frameworks you're targeting, and it'll go find those and launch those immediately, so that you don't have this. this I had this problem all the time because I was installing lots of framework versions. Um, you don't have this problem of mismatch where uh, I built this application with with RC7 and I currently have RC8 active. Oh, okay, let me go you know get that lined up so you won't it becomes smarter so that you don't have this mismatch um, I'm sense. just taking a, a look at the version of the .NET tool that I have here um, and this is an older uh, version an older nightly build and I don't see a way to uh, output a list of the runtime versions that you have installed um, but you can certainly look in the NuGet packages folder and you'll be able to see them sitting out there and I think this is the fun part of being uh, the new .NET. I mean, it's not something that's hidden that you have no access. I mean, it's, it's a folder. Just go look. It's all the runtimes are right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's it's actually worked out um, very well for us because people have found cool ways to integrate and and do innovative things. Um, and and we like seeing that. It's it's encouraging to see um, a very innovative. 
uh, .NET ecosystem that wants to get involved and wants to go out and build cool new things with us. I just right. wanted to clear up one more thing, too. Uh, with this renaming of uh, the DN DNX command line to .NET EXE, um, when, we're, when we're running ASP.NET on uh, other operating systems, um, is it still the .NET execution environment that we're running to, to get the application going? Um, you're, it's, it's not going to be the DNX tool. You're going to be using the .NET tool to run that. So um, th that CLI will run the same way on, on all three operating systems, and it, it does the same thing in all of them. You'll be able to say .NET run and, uh, you know, be able to say, for example, I'm, I can call .NET run web, and it will run the uh, web commands here for my application. So is yeah, the term, so, the .NET execution environment, just dead as a whole? Yeah, that's gone. Okay. Yeah. I think it makes sense. I mean, it was an acronym. I think just pure .NET is just more simple. And, I mean, just think about this from a pure um, getting started standpoint. Like, we are trying to really lower down the barrier to entry. Like a college kid with a Mac, just get .NET, and that's all. You can just, like, bootstrap your application and get started. And, I mean, to, to Jeff's point, I mean, you could actually say, I mean, .NET is essentially, uh, the runtime is just a bootstrapper, and so it can run an IL if you want. It can, you can just say .NET run this particular DLL in this particular folder. It'll do that. Or you can have more of a verb where you can say .NET build, .NET run, and then it'll combine a couple of things into one one action. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify because, I'm, it, you know, with these changes, of course, there's a lot of things that need to be updated. And that'll come slowly with time, but I'm still seeing uh, the the term .NET execution environment being used in documentation. So there there might be some confusion for folks, and I wanted to disambiguate that for people. Right. the The documentation um, is being updated with all the information you need for for the .NET CLI, and and the DNX stuff is going to come out of there. Um, you're going to see all of our branding update as the RC2 comes out so that uh, ASP.NET 5 goes away and it's, it's now being referenced as ASP.NET Core. Um, it, it really is a big task for us to get all of that content, all of that branding moved over and talking about the, the new tools, the new product um, in the appropriate way. And where are things heading with cross-platform and things like Docker? Oh, so we're doing we're doing a lot of work to try and get um, the, our Docker story much more improved. Um, our initial test Docker images were were big. They're 800 meg on top of a Linux version that that is really small. You know, it's 20, 30 meg for that base Docker image, and then we start layering stuff on top of it, and it gets it gets to be pretty big even before you put your application on top of it. So we're doing some refactoring in there to see if we can make those images smaller, um, to simplify things, so that you can you can really move your Docker images around your con your container images to any platform very very quickly. Um, so that's one piece that we're seeing. We're also seeing folks that want to run um, on the the smaller Windows Nano environment. So we're trying to make sure that we have Windows Nano images and capabilities all set up so that you can deploy that nano server very quickly with a .NET Core, ASP.NET Core install and get tremendous value out of that and stand up a bunch of those. Maybe you want to manage microservices that, that have Active Directory built into them. You're going to be able to do that. So we're really investing now in this story because we, we heard from a lot of customers that want to be able to do they want to be able to take things over to Linux. They've got a lot of, lot of investments in Linux environments. They want to take things to Unix environments. They want to take things um, and, and really explore the microservice approach and have smaller, smaller server installs that really do one or two things extremely well. And, and we want to support that type of distributed computing architecture. So that's what you're going to see us make a little bit more investment in here as we move forward. And, and it's something that we heard loud and clear after that November release of the RC1. So very much the, the open source, um, the, the release candidate approach that we were taking worked very well for us to be able to hear 
feedback from customers who were looking at the source code, who were interacting with the the pre-RTM versions of the tools, of the framework, and, and giving us their feedback about where they needed to see it go to support their workloads. So we're really excited about that. That's something that, that really helps us as we really embark on our first entire framework that is built completely in the open with all kinds of feedback coming in. We're very happy with this. So, Jeff, I think the last sentence of what you said kind of really resonates with us, and I don't think it's lost on anybody that what you guys are really doing, it's uh, it's monumental. You're essentially setting up .NET for the next 10 years, and all of the work that you're doing with ASP.NET is kind of repositioning it to be more forward and future-facing. Yeah, it really is. I mean, think about it. The, the .NET base class library that we use in Windows Forms, uh, ASP.NET 4.6, has been around for 15 years. The, ba the base components of it are, are the same thing that have evolved from way back 2001, 2002. So we're, we're trying to reinvent for, for this new world where, yeah, you know what? There are such things as smartphones. There are... IoT devices. There are huge clouds where we want to deploy a tremendous memory space and, and processor capabilities. And we need to expand the .NET platform to be able to handle all of those things and set it up to expand for the next generation of technologies that are coming along, like you said, Sam, over the next 10 years. Yeah, and then you can take .NET to things like HoloLens and Xbox. So that just opens the frontiers a lot more. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Xamarin has has landed .NET on a number of platforms that we wouldn't have even considered, but we're there now. That's true. So one last thing, um, NuGet. So we talked about how it um, knows how to bring down your dependencies from either a hosted server or just plain up uh, straight up NuGet. Where are things headed with NuGet? Because I know we talked about this a little bit, where uh, is truly NuGet going to be .NET focused and you're letting the Bowers and the NPMs kind of do the JavaScript handling? Uh, great question, Sam. So yes, we do want to keep NuGet and the NuGet.org service focused on .NET capabilities. Um, Bower and NPM are tremendous package managers that that manage those environments very, very well for those folks who are writing CSS libraries, JavaScript libraries. There's there's no need to reinvent the wheel and try and figure out with NuGet how to how to shoehorn those things in. Because really the folks that, that have built some of these libraries, they're they're not really publishing to NPM or to Bower because those environments they really just host a pointer back to the um, GitHub repositories that those projects use. So they update, submit a, a record once to those repositories, and whenever there's a new tag in those Git repositories, it, that's what you're going to see when you do a Bower install or an NPM install. Where NuGet, we need to host binaries. .NET hosts and delivers binaries to the NuGet.org uh, catalog and, and repository. So we're hosting a ton of capabilities out there in these DLLs that we're managing, inspecting, uh, and delivering. So with all of that overhead and managing the way that the .NET ecosystem works, why try and reinvent the wheel and republish things whenever there's a new version of Knockout or Angular or React? Let those package managers that manage those things that those project teams have already submitted their stuff to, let those package managers work very well inside of our ecosystem so that you get the most, best of both worlds. Yeah, this is a question I've been answering quite frequently as of late. Uh, because I, I used to maintain one of those packages. So if you've ever used the foundation CSS uh, HTML framework uh, within .NET, you've probably used my package. And uh, I've been letting people know over time that that, that package is going to cease to be updated uh, because these new capabilities are part of .NET now and you know, we, we don't really need to maintain that in an additional spot just for .NET. Right. 
And also for NuGet, I think the importance of NuGet kind of increases a lot more in the .NET space because the whole core framework is actually broken up into modular pieces which are delivered through NuGet too. I mean, to Jeff's point, I mean, we are delivering binaries through NuGet. So I think it's, um, it's much, much more important in the .NET space. Right. When you think about it, there's in, in the .NET 4.6 and earlier world, um, you only ever got a new version of the .NET framework when there was a new version of Windows or there was a new version of Visual Studio. And when that happened, you got this big couple gigabyte install that came down and, and put down a base class library on your system. You got tools appropriate for things. And as we move into this more modular world where we're not going to deploy a base class library with Windows, you're going to get your base class library from the central NuGet.org package repository. Well, now things change, and you're right. The base class library is something that you now get when you need it, which actually works out great for, for people like, like my mother, who isn't technical, and she won't get a Windows update that says, oh, now we're installing .NET Framework 7 point whatever that doesn't exist, and she doesn't use that. It's not a runtime that she needs for any of her applications, so why should she install it? In this new opt-in world, I only get the .NET framework when I need it, and I can package it with my application so just those components that I need are installed with my application. It, it's a win-win scenario for consumers, for developers, and for operations folks. Makes sense. Hey, so uh, a couple more things, I guess, uh, before we wrap up. Uh, tag helpers, I know you and Ed are both big fans of that. Um, where are things headed, and uh, why should people look to use Tag Helper? So, I mean, uh, we keep getting the question as to how close they are to like the ASPX uh, days. Um, what's, what, what are some big advantages? So Tag Helpers are going to be in the 1.0 release here of, of ASP.NET Core. Um, they're part of the RC2. Um, they're, they're really an evolution of those HTML helpers that you got in MVC, right? And, and we've heard this story before, um, if you've heard anything about tag helpers. It, it really is a way for us to take that embedded C-sharp that you got when you did uh, at HTML dot input box and turn it back into a tag that looks and feels like HTML, right? But the catch is, and where this is different from those ASCX approaches that you had before when you built user controls or when you wrote a composite control, a compiled control, that was a C-sharp file that got compiled and you can reference inside of Visual Studio. The difference is you don't have access inside of this tag to the entire page structure. Now, what a lot of people who were writing those, those user controls and compiled controls, what they would do is they would make some changes to their control, and then they would go and throw some capabilities out into the head of, of the file. They would make some changes to various locations all over the form, and they really had carte blanche access to the entire web form. And that can be dangerous. It's this black box that has full control over the code you wrote. With tag helpers, you only have control over what happens between the starting angle bracket and the ending angle bracket, slash angle bracket, right? That's it. So you can you can do a lot. They can be very powerful. It also gives us the ability to hand some of that HTML creation to our designer friends who can then say, you know what, I'm going to put a, a scheduler control here, and they can just use a tag helper appropriate for a scheduler, and it just appears where they put that in their HTML. They don't have to learn how to use an ASCX notation with all the properties and things. They don't have to learn how to go grab some ASP colon control and add that into their their web form. They can really focus on just using angle brackets like any other piece of HTML, which really is the same direction that folks are going with, uh, with the JavaScript frameworks like Angular and Aurelia. We want to give you these capabilities so that you can program in something that's more like HTML with some code that's hiding behind the scenes that's going to render that the way you want to, but only affect just that area of the page. And I think more importantly in that respect, you can define a class, a CSS class, yeah. right on the tag without 
having to to know C sharp and open up anonymous objects and uh, you can inject data dash attributes without any kind of trickery or or absolutely the, all of the Visual Studio tooling is still there and still knows how to manage HTML and even though you you started with a foo tag yeah it knows when you type class equals oh I'm looking for CSS classes and it's going to give you IntelliSense on classes you type style equals and it gives you all the hints around CSS styles very cool stuff where the tooling helps you yeah and I think I like the simplicity of just going down to plain HTML like angle brackets I mean these are just like literally like HTML things that you're writing up and they're they may look like old ASPX days but they don't function like those things and I mean HTML helpers as nice as they were it made you cringe sometimes whenever you kind of mixed up like server-side C-sharp with some HTML and sometimes it didn't, didn't get all the IntelliSense and I mean to just point I mean, you had access to a lot more things in code that you possibly didn't, didn't want to do from your just HTML helper so yeah good things yeah, and to put people at ease, I mean, we're not talking about Razor going away in any shape or form. No, Razor, Razor is very much our preferred templating mechanism for ASP.NET. And uh, I also see some uses um, for some more complex controls as well. Uh, for example, like maybe something that's very configuration-heavy, like a grid or something, still may be more uh, palatable from a, a fluid API coming off of a Razor uh, HTML helper rather than a tag helper. That's right. Um, those thing, those capabilities are still there, um, but with tag helpers, you also have the ability to put uh, child tag helpers inside of. So you can certainly say, you know what, let's create a grid tag helper, and inside of that grid tag helper, let's have column tag helpers that know how to manage column formatting. So. There's all kinds of capabilities that are in there that, that we're waiting to see folks explore and, and deliver on. Yeah, it'll be yeah, interesting so. to see those things uh, come around as the tag helpers mature. Yeah, so why don't we let uh, maybe Jeff um, do the closing rounds to kind of give us a future of ASP.NET. And my last uh, pitch before we round up would be um, I'm excited as a .NET developer with some of the directions that .NET is going, the places that you can take .NET that you never were used to before, the flexibility that I have to work on a Windows machine or on a Mac or anything and be able to build and collaborate with my team members. Uh, I also think that uh, as great as uh, the ASP.NET ecosystem is going to be, there's always space for richness of the ecosystem to be enhanced by uh, partners outside of Microsoft, which is where like folks like us at Telerik, we come in and we'll give you all of the UI controls that you can render now through tag helpers. We do have support for the new um, RC1 bits and we'll uh, eventually have support for the RC2 bits so you can actually render and work with our controls uh, in a cross-platform way. So um, I'm excited as an ASP.NET developer, as a .NET developer, and be able to do these new and fun things. I'm not uh, tied down to uh, Visual Studio all day. I can work on a little text editor and be equally productive with CLI. So uh, that's all from me. Uh, Jeff, why don't you give us uh, your vision as to why you're excited about the, uh, about the next uh, iteration and about the future? Um, the number one thing I'm excited about is performance. Um, bar none, the, the team is just teed off on the performance question and story around ASP.NET, and, and they've hit it out of the park. Um, the original tests that they were showing for, for ASP.NET Web Forms, for ASP.NET MVC, were it, it didn't even compare. It wasn't even in the same league as some of the other frameworks that are out there. Um, but the changes that they've done to make it um, to make it palatable, to make it uh, perform better, are tremendous. In our in our development lab right now, we see 1.1 million requests per second come through on both Windows and Linux servers. That that's tremendous. But we've had to park our performance working there because we hit we hit our first goal. We crossed a million requests per second. Um, when we get on the other side of the RTM here, there's a there's a pull request or two hanging out there that are going to bump us up by another 50%. We're going to get up to 1.6 million requests per second in our development lab, and that's going to be very respectable compared to some of the other frameworks out there. Um, it certainly surpasses some of the um, some of the open source ones, Ruby, Node. ASP.NET is going to be at the at the top of the heap ahead of those. And really, we're focused on these tech empower benchmarks that are out there 
that that have more powerful machines than what we're using in our development lab. Um, and in equivalent hardware, we're seeing significant performance there as well that are going to put us in the in the top ten easily of their um, industry-wide web benchmarks. We're very excited about that. I'm excited because it means that you're going to need less hardware, less server requirements in order to drive the the same throughput that you had before. Um, so from a performance point of view where where I, I love talking about server-side web interactions, I, I can't be more happier to see that coming through and landing. Um, I'm, I'm excited that we've got this RC2 now. We're going to see RTM in June. And, and we're going to start getting ready for the tooling integrations that are going to happen with Visual Studio 15 when that version rolls out. These, um, there's preview release of Visual Studio 15 out there. We're going to start to see uh, tooling builds that work with Visual Studio 15 sometime after the RTM of ASP.NET that'll bring those those standard bits of, of debugging and uh, and, and advanced capabilities that you want to profile your application that you've used with Visual Studio for all these years, they're going to bring it into that uh, application. I'm very excited to see that land. Um, we're going to see SignalR come back after the RTM. We're going to see a new version of that introduced. It's, it's something that's bubbled to the top of our list. We've heard a lot of feedback from folks who want to run SignalR on ASP.NET Core. And that's something that we're going to be bringing back to um, ASP.NET Core after the 1.0 release. So there's a, a few things that are on the immediate agenda that we're going to be working on. Um, and you know what? We've been we've tried to be very flexible with our with our schedule here. Um, and, and as customers raise features that they want because they're seeing what we're doing, we we carve our sprints appropriately so that we can deliver those features. So we've had a very fluid schedule. And and things like F-sharp capabilities have started to get into the box. Um, we're going to see VB come in into the box here soon. And it's, it, it's these changes, this ability to react to customer requests that that I'm very happy to see. And um, and it's landed some of our core tenets in this rewrite of ASP.NET Core and .NET Core very very well, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to working with the community in the future to further guide the way that this uh, framework uh, develops. It's it's very exciting. Yeah, well said. And Jeff. Um... We're recording this on Friday the 13th, but we're, we're going to be actually airing this on Monday, the following Monday. Uh, when will we see the, the new bits release? Where do we get them, and how do we get started? So since we're time-shifting, um, you should be able to get them today. Um, if you go to get.asp.net, you'll be able to um, see a download there for your appropriate platform that you navigated to that website with. You should see a download there for the current version of the tools with Visual Studio 2015 for Visual Studio Code um, and a jump off point to get the command line interface so you can start to download and work with your projects. <coughs> um, you're also going to be able to go to a new website that we're standing up. It's dot, D-O-T dot net. Uh, that's kind of confusing, but dot dot net you're going to be able to go to and get the latest versions of .NET Core. You'll be able to get a jump off from there to get ASP.NET Core. Um, but if you're working with .NET Core and you want to build cross-platform console applications, you'll be able to go to just .NET and get some of those things. And we're... So, sorry, go ahead. No, no. So, so that's our jump off point. And you can get documentation at docs.asp.net. Um, and of course... Every week, the, the lead program managers on the project have a video series they run at live.asp.net. And, and where can we find uh, things that you're writing and, and find you online? Ah, good question. Let me plug myself here. Here we go. Um, you can read all about uh, the things that I'm writing for Microsoft. Um, I manage the web development blog on MSDN. That's blogs.msdn.com slash webdev. 
Um, I also have a personal blog that I manage stuff at, at jeffreyfritz.com. Um, I've started a video series there called 10-Minute Tips with Fritz. Um, so I've got little 10-minute snippets of here's how to do something in ASP.NET Core or do something with ASP.NET uh, 4.6 and earlier that I, I post these videos to YouTube. And it's, it's really, it's 10 minutes of here's how to go through and do something simple. Um, I've got a handful of videos out there now, and it's something I'm trying to do on a weekly basis. Great. We'll, uh, we'll wrap all those things up and put those in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to go grab those links, go to developer.telerik.com and look for the show, and we'll have all the links to everything that we talked about today. Sounds great. All Thanks right. a lot, Ed. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much for being on the show with us. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks for coming out, Jeff. No problem. Have a good one, guys. Right. Bye-bye. for web services, web applications. That was it. You really had only three or four types of projects. Class libraries, I think, were the other things you had in there. So let me pause you there for a second, guys. I've got a meowing cat here I've got to <laughs> kick out. Oh, poor cat is one of the best podcasts.